0: For details on the program, visit ecfeltcom slash thrive. That's E-C-K. F-E-L-D-T dot slash thrive.
2: Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is John Nematic. He is partner at Green Coast Capital. He's also president at The Green Mile. Uh, we're going to talk to him about what's going on in the cannabis industry, specifically down south. So we're going to talk to him about the work they're doing in South America and Columbia and really understanding what's going on. I think um, an interesting conversation outside the U.S., outside Canada. We spend so much time focusing on the U.S. and the Canadian market. I'm really interested to kind of hearing how things are playing out in some other parts of the world. Uh, Obviously, you know, everything is connected. We're looking at a global cannabis market being developed here. So I think it's really important that we start to look beyond kind of the U.S.-Canadian borders about what's going on in cannabis. So with that, John, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you. And it's great to be back, Bruce. Appreciate the invitation.
2: Yeah. And John was on a while ago, so we're going to get a little bit of update. And I'll, I'll put a link to our original conversation in the show notes so people can go back and listen to that. But yeah, so you have some interesting background, some interesting experiences, why don't we start with just a little bit of the history. So how you got into the space, like what your focus has been, and then we can kind of do the update since our last conversation and you can let us know
3: what's going down, what's going on down in uh, Columbia. Sure. As you know, I was a tech entrepreneur for decades and, uh, Last three companies I was involved, I was in the capacity of chairman, CEO, or president, and we took three different companies to the public markets. And after the third company, I finally decided that I had enough and moved <laughs> down to Panama <laughs> to take a break for a while, right? Just enjoy the sunshine and the great food and uh, the wonderful, wonderful beaches. And, uh about uh, five years ago, at the behest of my wife, I started getting actually into the cannabis space. And the way that happened is that she's a medical doctor specialized in, this, in anti-aging medicine. But she started developing a strong interest in cannabinoids about five years ago. And I remember asking her one time, you know, what would really move the needle in terms of anti-aging? And she said, well, you know lengthening like the telomerases on your chromosomes, which doesn't mean much to many of us, but also <laughs> reducing yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, That's what you get from asking a doctor. Yeah, exactly. but she said also reducing inflammation. And she said, and ah. too bad that CBDs aren't legal because that's a great way to get rid of inflammation. Interesting. Yeah. And that's when the light bulb went ding ding ding. So I started, you know, looking in the market. I started investing in various Canadian companies. You know, four or five years ago, some successes, some real duds. Yeah. But bottom line is I decided that I wanted to work in Colombia. And Why I chose Colombia is very simple. The climate there is ideal, especially at the equatorial regions and the high altitudes for growing certain types of sativas. I mean, just fantastic. 12 hours on the sun, 12 off. Uh, you're approximately 2,000 meters above sea level, so you're getting at least 2x times the intensity of sun that you get at sea level. So, I mean, it's great. And the country has a long tradition of agriculture. Production and uh, let's be let's be direct. You know, yeah. uh, <laughs> when it comes to fighting experienced labor, I mean, they know a thing or two about cannabis. So yeah. it makes it a lot easier than you know if you go to other countries in South America where, frankly, they don't have. Depth of experience. And uh, yeah, you know, let's leave it at that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, so it's interesting because I, I understand the um, uh, kind of agricultural side, but, you know, as for a country that has a history in, in the kind of previous cannabis world, you know, mm-hmm. as you go to a legalized market, you know how I mean. I guess give us a little sense of how the market has been legalized there. I'm not even sure of the details of exactly what what's legal and what's not, and how it's structured, and what are the regulatory setups. And then how has the kind of transition been as the as the legal market comes into play? You know, what's the process been like?
3: Interesting. i this could be an hour conversation, but I promise it won't be. <laughs> Bottom line, in two thousand and sixteen, cannabis was legalized for medicinal purposes for medical use only, not okay. recreational. Yeah. And whilst there still is a black market of sorts, right? And I and I'm being sincere when I say I really don't know anything about it, right? Uh-huh. Other than the fact that, you know, it's the product that they produce, you know, without any controls, you know, without yeah. with pesticides and so forth, right? So, yeah. you know, that stuff is always going to be around. We call it ditchweed, you know. Now, frankly, that's yeah. what it is. yeah, uh, on the medical side, however, I mean, the controls, the stringency are much greater. And, you know, further to that point, right? I mean, it was legalized four years ago, and we've been going through the licensing process. and I have to be frank, the greatest risk I ever underestimated in this business are two, two major risks, a, regulatory, which I thought I had a handle on it, but I didn't realize just how complex this could really get. Yeah. and b, you really have to choose your partners carefully, especially in this industry. That's <laughs> yeah, kind of
2: a rule of life, but, it, it but is, business but, and romantic, but yeah.
3: <laughs> it is, but I mean, in a lot of other businesses, if your partners, you know, frankly, turn out to be not good partners, I mean, you can always get rid of them. But I mean, if you have the wrong kind of partners here, you could end up with a trip to a one-way ticket to yeah. the Iron Bar Hotel. So yeah. you really got to watch what you're doing. But but having said that, the people that I've been working with are great. There's no issues. We've been uh, gone through the licensing process with Green Mile. We have all our licenses in place. And if it hadn't been for COVID, we would already been doing, you know, already been harvesting, but that's okay. You know, having been through previous business cycles, when this came along and my partners are experienced entrepreneurs, we knew exactly what to do. We knew how to do it. You know, the old saying is when you panic, if you're going to panic, panic early, we we close it down and now we're in a situation where we're in a trickle mode. No, we're we ready to open when you know things will resume back to normal. And you know, frankly, our burn is—I'll I'll be frank—a burn is less than what my uh, alcohol and restaurant bill used to be. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I get it. So, so tell us a little bit about businesses. So, Green Coast Capital, Green Mile, give us a sense of what they're focused on, what are they doing, and where they're at in terms of development.
3: Okay, Green Mile is a fully licensed producer in Colombia. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean we have licenses for psychoactive, non-psychoactive, we have licenses for transformation, we have licenses for seeds and so forth. So bottom line is we can pretty well do everything we need to do. There's some quotas we need to obtain and you know and there's always something when you're dealing with government, but you know we've kept in compliance so we're good with that. Green Coast Capital is an amalgamation of four family offices. One of those offices is mine, and I you know between all of us we've invested in uh, thirteen cannabis. Actually, you know, actually, let me correct myself on that. Probably more like twenty projects in the last couple of years, and we just decided that we should pool our expertise and go out there and look for entities that we find interesting. We just feel that's a more efficient way for us to do some early stage. We've been doing pipes, you know, investments in private, uh, private investments and public entities, but also we've been doing some early stage as well and mid stage. And uh, that's been kind of my focus is just, you know, if you'll pardon the pun, right. Going through the weeds and finding the real (laughs) jewels. <laughs> How's that for a mix metaphor? finding the buds finding <laughs> yeah. the buds in the weeds yeah yeah finding the real buds in the weeds exactly yeah. i like that uh, one better
2: and any particular area that you've you're focused on or you know either in terms of you know that you like it or you feel like you've got you know more insights around how, how are you kind of approach i mean canada is such a broad area Correct. what's your what's your area of focus
3: well my particular focus is i'm now looking at how technology is applied to agriculture, and in particular, how that technology can be applied in the cannabis space to make it more efficient, you know, from seed to sales, as they say, right? And, you know, there's various different kinds of applications, and of course, there's some good ones out there, but I'm kind of looking also, to on the medicinal side. I've been helping out my uh, spouse. I mean, she's doing the, you know, lion's share of the work, right? But I've been assisting with her in terms of identifying applications or applications we need to develop to help her with her clinic. She she has a medical cannabis clinic in Columbia. And a part of what I've said to her that is really valuable is your ability to collect real-world evidence from patients, you know, to be able to take formulas and products and to be able to do, you know, take care of your patients and do follow-ups and see how they respond to certain combinations of cannabinoids, you know, how they respond to terpenes and so forth, right? And I said that that information, I said, that's actually the, you know, that is the new gold. And in your particular case, it's green gold. You definitely, definitely want to be able to do that properly. And, you know, if you're able to develop good clinical studies, this is information that, you know, pharmaceutical companies, for example, would dearly love to have because anecdotal is great. I mean, we know people that, you know, have maybe consumed cannabis informally to deal with various ailments and it's been very effective, right? Mm -hmm. But it's another thing when you're talking about scientific evidence that you can bring forth to other doctors and to other regulators and to regulators, that's what they want to see. They want to see data. They want to see hard information and that's something that uh, uh, we're now able to collect that's kind of where my interest is so I'm kind of circling back. I left tech for a while, <laughs> yeah. got into cannabis, got into agriculture, did the old green acres thing, you know, ran away from civilization, looking mm-hmm. at our beautiful plants. And I mean, it was great, right? But, you know, you know, as they say, they suck you back yeah. in again. <laughs> you, can, right? you can run, but you can't hide. <laughs> I yeah. can't hide. So yeah. I'm back in again to tech, right? And, uh, yeah. you know, I just love the idea of being able to take science and applying it to the plant and applying it to how we help people. Because to me, medicinal cannabis... Is going to be one of the great revolutions in medicine, uh, and yeah. I, and when I make that statement, I don't make that lightly. I mean, yeah. when you see well, how some patients just dramatically benefit from this products from these products, like I'm sure most of us seen the video of the fellow online who had Parkinson's who then uses his, and he's just shaking uncontrollably. Poor guy, can't even talk. And then he takes a couple of vapes of his product, and the guy's tremors disappear, and now he's able to have a conversation. I mean, this is fact, right? This is what we can observe. Now, how do we quantify that? How do we get a number of these patients? How do we measure them across cohorts, across time? How do we assess what they're doing? Which products are most effective? I mean, you know, it's great to have the artisan products, and I think that's great. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for some people, uh, let's be direct. You know, they want to be able to function, but they don't necessarily want to be buzzed all the time, right? So the question is, can you come up with the right combination? I mean, THC is a medicine. There's no question about that, right? But I mean, it's all about balance and it's also about individual physiology and that's the other factors that need to be identified as well.
2: Yeah, well, and that that one's huge, I find. I mean, just in terms of, because we're dealing with sort of plant-based medicine, which Mm -hmm. has, you know, so many different components to it. You know, we're not dealing with sort of single molecule kind of drugs and therefore, you know, how these... You know, molecules enter your body, all the factors that kind of play into that, everything from your gut biome to your mm-hmm. genetics to your uh, physiology. H- how, tell me a little bit about how you're seeing kind of the application of technology to help, you know, do this research, kind of collect the data, analyze the data, turn the data into ins- insights. I mean, where's, where do you see the opportunity and where have you kind of focused your efforts?
3: Well, this is what I envision, and I'm actually working towards this with a partner called Jade Health. And here's what we envision. A patient comes in to see someone like my spouse, for example. They take the usual patient record information, put it in a form that's anonymous, of course, right? You then take that data and you upload it to a cloud. And using an AI program, right, which has a base that it can access, we can start narrowing down different treatment options for that patient based on the symptoms. Now, you could go further and you can incorporate genetic testing into that i.e. the ability now to take someone's dna and be able to take that data and put it into a form that's usable with many patients you'll start to be able to you know identify patterns so the idea might be that let's say someone's you know in their 40 something they have you know they walk in they complain that their joints are hurting you know because particularly in their knee cuz they injured it when they were young yep. and you know you write it all up and you know, it turns out that, you know, there's a particular strain that could be pretty valuable for them. And so you give the information, you load it into the cloud, the AI analyze it, and it comes out with recommendations that said, you know, use this product or use that product or use this combination. Because this is a new type of medicine. You know, the idea of just isolating a molecule and patenting it, you know, it sounds great in theory. And that's the pharmaceutical model. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that model, but I don't think it applies in the same way with the cannabis. And the fact that we now have technology is we can go from what I frankly see as a nineteenth century and 20th century model and pharmaceuticals and taken into the 21st century where we can start modeling all the complexities of this and come up with solutions and, you know, real world evidence can really help patients. Like, so we can really narrow it down. You know, the idea would, would be to be able to provide dosing. Proper dosing. Because dosing is the number one issue that doctors always chat about. I mean, uh, I kind of sometimes overhear the conversations Sandra has when she's teaching other doctors. She's a professor of cannabinoid studies at the University of Panama. She's teaching in Colombia. She's also teaching, she's taught around the world. Yeah. And one of the first things they inevitably say is, well, what about dosing? You know, how do we give standardization? And that's the big issue, frankly. Yeah. And, and you know, anybody who gets that nailed down, I mean, really gets that nailed down where it's consistent, wow. They're going to have something to offer. And and I've seen different products and I've seen, you know, applications from Israel, for example, where Sandra has strong relationships. And uh, I believe that in the next few years, the dosing is really going to be relatively resolved in the sense that, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning, you know, my back is sore. I decide, okay, I'm going to take a little hit off my puffer, right? One shot and I feel fine. You know, my pain goes away and I'm ready to work. But I'm not disoriented and I'm not, uh, and I'm, I'm not like, frankly, intoxicated in yeah. any And there's nothing wrong with that. Just saying that, you know, to get through the day, we probably want to keep our minds clear. Yeah. You know, what we do on the weekends is a different matter. Mm-hmm.
2: And why is this thing such a challenge for folks right now? I mean, what, as you kind of see the applications or see people trying to advise or, or uh, I won't use prescribe, I guess, but you know, sure. <laughs> give, give people instructions, suggestions Correct. on what they take, how much they take, like, how is it working right now from your point of view?
3: Well, I'm going to preface by saying, of course, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not giving any medical advice. I'm just like a journalist. You know, I'm kind of like most of what I've learned is from the Reader's Digest version of this. And anybody who takes advice from me, frankly, is a fool. (laughs) (laughs) But but having said all that, right, in terms of dosing, I I think complexities have to do with, you know, the human physiology. We all come different size, shapes, and forms. The way we tolerate medications changes from the morning, changes to the evening. So... And just knowing when you take it makes a big difference. And also making sure you have consistent product as well. I mean, one of the issues, for example, is that, uh, and, and I'm going to talk about a situation that Sandra recently witnessed. Here in Panama, cannabis is not legal for medicinal purposes, although they're going to be legalizing CBD. This is happening, okay? But regardless, there are you know mothers that have children with you know, epilepsy, and, uh, you know, they're obtaining their products through, you know, non, uh, non-official channels, right? Mm-hmm. And there was this one child, for example, that was doing just fine with their uh, epilepsy, and then they suddenly had a, a major breakdown. I hate to call it breakdown, but the symptoms started coming back very strongly, right? And it turns out the mother had been receiving a product from a certain contact that she had, and that contact ran out of what they were giving her, so they gave her something else, and they didn't bother to say that they substituted, and that's really what caused that. She's yeah. also seen that in cases of autism as well. So this is what I mean by consistent dosing, knowing exactly what you're giving. And you know, it was a real problem, especially in this other case with autism. I'm sorry if I'm all over the place here, but as a child that was normal, he was in school. All of a sudden, you know, his medication is no longer working. The kid is just you know having a breakdown, and yeah. you know, they literally called the police, right? And uh, you know, she had to explain it. No, 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 this is not, and she's not prescribing or anything like that. It's nothing to do with. Just you know is gets calls all the time from people. you know she's licensed to practice in Colombia. She does not practice in Panama. She's an educator.
2: Yeah, I just okay, want to draw okay. those distinctions. Uh, yeah, no. I'm curious on the tech side. So, hmm? I mean, is this just a pretty straightforward technical problem, or I mean, uh, given your history and, and having run several successful tech ventures, like where do you see the technology challenges? You know, what what does this look like in terms of applying technology to solve some of these problems?
3: Well, I'm in the early stages of understanding these problems, so please forgive my inner ignorance, yeah. but I'll take a first stab at it. To me, it's figuring out how to interface with different regulatory regimes. Let me explain what I mean by that. Yeah. So in Colombia, there's a certain way that you can present patient data and a certain way you can store it you know, for privacy concerns, right? Uh-huh. And in Canada, I don't know, but I would imagine they have similar systems, but they can be different. Again, in the States, they can be different as well around the world. So mm-hmm. there's going to be that interfacing issue, learning how to deal with that. No, the other thing too is we'll be gathering reliable data. Now, once you've got the reliable data, I don't see technically speaking that that's really going to be like impossible. It's not like we have to make any major breakthroughs. The tech is already there. The AI is already there. The genetic testing is already there. All the pieces are there. It just takes somebody to put it together in a way that works and that provides benefits to the end user. And, and I also see that as part of a component of telemedicine too. Telemedicine is going to be bigger. It's not going to completely substitute for regular medicine by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, you know, for follow-ups, for example, I think telemedicine is going to be extremely effective. Right. So creating applications that allow you to follow up patients on a timely basis and to be able to measure what they're also dosing too. I mean, I had this idea that, uh, you know, you give them a puffer, you have a chip on the puffer and the chip tells you how often they're using it, when they're using it and what doses they're giving you. So this can, again, can give you real world evidence. So it's a question of parsing it down to a level where the information is meaningful. Collecting information, I don't think is big as much a challenge as making it meaningful. And that's what I kind of see as part of what I'm going to be doing for the next few years. Yeah, yeah,
2: and it does. I mean, that that whole research side is such um, a key part to how we really mm-hmm. develop the industry and and develop these products and you know develop kind of the use cases. And right. I mean, I, I, you know, on the U.S. here, obviously we're we're kind of stymied because of the federal situation. We're still an illegal substance. Yes. Given that Columbia is you know has you know medical. Program, What are you able to do? What are you not able to do in terms of, you know, collecting the data or implementing some of these trials and doing some of this research?
3: Well, we definitely have more latitude than the the U.S. Yeah. And in Colombia, however, we can only use tinctures. So we can't use plants. So the idea that Uh, patients will be smoking. So that eliminates a lot of that. We have to stick to tinctures. Maybe that will change, Right. But the other thing, too, is once you're working with tinctures, if you're a general practitioner, you're licensed in Columbia, and you've done some coursework in the area of cannabis, yeah. as far as I know, you can start prescribing to patients, right? And uh, you know, a lot of specialists are starting to do that right now because they, they see what the value of that is. And the fact that we can collect that data from patients that are taking these tinctures and to see how they do. Now, at this point right now in Colombia, there is no pharmaceutical product, a standardized product, other than from one company called Procaps. And um, I don't really want to go too deeply into that, but the vast majority of products being tested right now are what we would call compound formulas, magisterial formulas in Colombia. What does that mean? It means that each formula is, in theory, compounded specifically for each patient. And that's kind of what's going on. So it's a form of individualized medicine. And the question then becomes, how good is this data? So what you'd really have to do is take a compound, maybe that's one that's used over and over again, and collect data from that. I mean, there are challenges here. You know, we are in early stages and we're going to be evolving towards that. But the good news is that uh, Sandra is president of the Colombian Association of Medical Cannabis Practitioners. And I'm kind of butchering that acronym a little bit. Um, <laughs> she has great contacts with the government, you know, with other organizations and with regulators. And, you know, the regulators are really interested in hearing about this because here, here's the thing. Education really is critical to you know, wider adoption of cannabis-based medicine. I can tell you for a fact that doctors pretty well listen only to doctors. And I can also tell you that doctors, right, they want evidence. If you go to them and say, you know, here's a bottle of tincture. You know, we've had 20 people that made them, ameliorated their arthritis. They're not going to turn around and say, well, I'm going to take that. They want to see some kind of data. And once you have more and more information, they're willing to work with that, right? For various reasons, because they're conscientious, they care about their patients. There's also liability concerns as well. So... I do believe that Colombia is going to be a leader in this space. You know, Israel, of course, is at the front in part because, you know, they have a wider latitude of research, as I understand it. But don't hold me to this, as I understand it, than certainly than the states and perhaps even more than Colombia, although I can't say for certain. But I do see Colombia that the government has now, the light bulb has gone on and they've now realized that this is a, could be a multi-billion dollar industry. So yeah. they're starting to move. I mean, recently, uh, <laughs> you'll love this one. This is a, this do with Green Mile. Recently we needed to have you know a follow-up inspection. This is a part of a routine process. and usually you write to these guys and three months later maybe you hear from them and then who knows? a couple months later someone shows up. Well, I, <laughs> like we put in a request and like literally seven days later someone from the government showed up and we were like shocked. I mean, I thought this was a joke. But they actually showed up and it's part of their realization that, you know, with their economies in shambles due to COVID, with their uh, export of flowers basically been destroyed, coffee is not going to carry the day. You know, the only thing they really have left is the mining and, um, you know, cannabis. And cannabis is, is green. I mean, what we do helps the environment. If you believe in global warming, if you subscribe to that, you know, then what we're doing is carbon neutral for the most part and actually carbon positive in the sense that our, that's our plants are healing the soil and, and, you know, taking carbon in and expelling carbon. I mean... I'm obviously brushing over the whole cycle, right? But uh, yeah. from a pollution perspective, we're causing less. And hemp, I mean, gosh, what hemp could actually do for us, that's another story. Well, what And what is the status of hemp in Colombia? I don't really have that more good of an insight because I'm not in the space. But yeah, I believe okay. that Colombia has an opportunity to be in that space. But I think there's going to be other jurisdictions that are going to be able to do it better, frankly, because of the terrain that they have and also the nature of the plant itself. But yeah. that's not the write-off hemp in Colombia. But I think Colombia's competitive edge, frankly, is in high-grown sativas at the equatorial region and yeah. also indicas as well. Right? And I'm using a, what is probably a largely outdated dichotomy, you know, broadleaf, narrowleaf. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of these plants, it's really hard to draw a line between what's indica and what's sativa. But yeah. I think you're getting my point.
2: Yeah, and I guess I've always seen, you know, Colombia as one of these potential powerhouses on a global mm-hmm. market in terms of being able to grow super efficiently and a yes. super high quality. Yes. I mean, what what is the status of that? I mean, are they still positioning themselves? What's in the way of that? How is that developing?
3: I think Colombia is going to be the, probably the cannabis powerhouse of South America, and I'm not just saying that to talk in my book. What everybody needs to understand about Colombia is it has excellent relations with the United States. Okay? So I'm going to illustrate by example the rose business. You know anybody that's bought flowers for their mother on Mother's Day in the United States? They've probably gone to an FTD florist or something okay. similar to that. About half of those roses are from Colombia. Okay, so think of what it takes actually to put together the logistics to grow the roses, cut the roses, properly preserve them, package them, ship them, fly them into the United States, and put them in stores, and do that like what in 48 hours, 72 hours? Yeah, I mean it's it's remarkable and. Building those kind of supply chains, it's not just a question of the executing on the chain. It's also having the appropriate agreements in place. And uh, Colombia has, you know, most favorite nation status in the United States. It has other agreements in place. I mean, Colombia is perceived by the U.S. as a keystone state. And, you know, for better or for worse, you know, the United States uh, pays a lot of attention to Colombia. uh Consequently, when and if the United States starts to permit imports of any kind, I think Colombia is going to be at the front of the line.
2: Yeah, and and where I guess what's your sense of when that's going to happen? <laughs> when when do you oh, think you we're gosh. actually you know going to have a, a, a global market for cannabis across national boundaries? And
3: this is a marathon; it's not a sprint. Yeah, I believe that once the United States legalizes at some form at the federal level, let's say for example, cannabis is legalized for medicinal use at the federal level that will be a huge game changer. And that's when you're going to start to see the market evolve. Because one of the biggest problems right now is obtaining banking facilities, as anybody in the space will tell you. And, uh, you know, that's something you have to be very careful with how you deal with those issues. But once the United States goes, then it's going to create that global market. And, so I think it's a process, not an event. It's going to be a time. It's hard to, you know, pick up a certain time, but let's say maybe two or three years hence, you know, the United States federal government says, okay, fine, we're going to do this at the medicinal side because, you know, there's only like, you know, 10,000 papers on cannabis, actually probably more like 20 or 30 and, and there's enough evidence to say that really this is medicine it's not just something with no medicinal value right and once that's recognized and a lot of that will become pressure from the states I mean when you have a situation if, if 85 to 90% of the people that live in the United States are in states where it's legal for medicinal purposes or recreational purposes I mean that's, I think it's just inevitable and once yeah. that happens then you know we'll have there'll be standardized markets that are developed and then I see you know a trillion dollar industry evolving out of this and I don't think that's an exaggerated number if you consider what alcohol, if you consider what sales of alcohol are, and then if you look at what hemp could do in the substitutes and then all the other things, I mean, this is going to be an absolutely massive industry and probably one of the few areas in the next few years that's going to see double digit growth. So it's going to attract a lot of capital. Not have
2: yeah. no doubt. Yeah. So for those folks that are listening to this, you know, that are in kind of North America, US Canada and in, in the cannabis market or are looking to get in the cannabis market and kind of hear, hey, this is a great opportunity to do stuff down in, in South America or Columbia specifically, what are the things they need to know before <laughs> before they, you know, get on a plane and start trying to figure out how to start up set up businesses in uh in South America and Columbia?
3: Due diligence, due diligence, due diligence and due diligence. You yeah. really, really have to know who your partners are. And I'm not talking just about whether they're, you know, legal or not legal. I mean, there's any issues there, it's more like how confident they are. But once yeah. you've identified reliable partners, people that you've trusted and you've done very extensive background checks on, mm-hmm. then uh, you could partner up with them in various areas, whether it's on the agricultural side. And also, I think it's going to be on the, you know, the sciences side too. Columbia has a lot of doctors, a lot of pharmacists, a lot of trained scientists. I mean... The cost of doing a study in Colombia, we've looked at what it would do cost to do it in Canada and, and compared it to Colombia because Canada is legal as you well aware. And you know, you're talking about a 70 percent savings at minimum. Yeah. So I think Colombia as a research powerhouse and also as a production powerhouse. That I think that's where Colombia is really going to shine.
2: Yeah, uh, John, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the companies, what's the best way to get that information?
3: Best way to reach me is just to go to LinkedIn and just type in my name, John Nemanic in LinkedIn, and uh, you can then uh, you know read my profile and, I, and you can access, uh, I can get through to me that way. Also, if you just take my name and just Google John Nemanic MBA, <laughs> and you know I've got thousands of references there. So uh, just ignore the tech stuff; that's old hat.
2: <laughs> I'll make sure that uh, the link to your LinkedIn profile is in the show notes so people can get that.
3: Perfect. Appreciate that, Bruce. And Bruce, thank you thank you to your audience and by the way thank you for the work that you do your podcast is absolutely amazing and i'm not just saying this because i'm on i mean it is worth listening and anybody out there if you really want to hear high quality information from an excellent interviewer listen to his podcast you'll learn a lot <laughs> thank
2: you so much i'll pay you later <laughs>
3: <laughs> no worries
2: <laughs> this has been a pleasure thank you so much for taking the time today
3: have a wonderful day And it was great chatting with you